Welcome to the Pro-Life Team podcast. I'm Jacob Barr, and I'm here with Maria, and we're going to talk about Roe versus Wade being overturned in the Dobbs case, along with how that has impacted Pennsylvania, how that's impacted our nation, and how that may impact pregnancy clinics and the work that's being done on the ground. So Maria, I am really glad that you're here and I'm glad I'm excited to talk to you. Would you introduce yourself as if you were talking to a room of pro-life friends, of people in your community who who are looking who are passionate about helping the unborn and moms and young couples? Hello, everybody. I'm Rhea Gallagher, and I'm the legislative director for the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation, an affiliate of National Right to Life. We deal with the issues of abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, and embryonic stem cell research. And we deal with legislation and education and political action. And we're working to restore legal protection for preborn children and help for their mothers. Awesome. And so where would you like to start today? Would you like to start by talking about uh, the, the road draft? Would you like to start talking about maybe the different laws in California? What would you put as your current priority of what you think might be interesting to start with? I think that we should start talking about the um, draft of the Dobbs U.S. Supreme Court decision because um, that has leaked out and it's caused uh, a major media firestorm, I think, across the country. And I think it's important for people to know exactly what that's all about. I agree. So, so what, so what are your, what are your impressions of the Dobb case or what part would you like to start with in that arena or in that space? Certainly. Um, The Dobbs case is so very important because it tests the um, viability clause of Roe versus Wade. So, Um, This is based on a Mississippi 15-week abortion ban, which is a pre-viability ban, and the court is being asked to uphold this ban, Um, but the court is also being asked to do something even more important than that, which is to overturn Roe versus Wade, which is the 1973 U.S. Supreme Court decision, which basically brought us abortion on demand for any reason or for no reason at all during all nine months of pregnancy. And the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation was very fortunate to file an amicus brief in the case or friend of the court brief. And in this brief, we argued that when there is an abortion, there are always two people involved, the mother and the unborn child. And really and truly, both of those people deserve medical care and should be protected under the law. And so uh, various organizations, pro-life organizations, uh, different groups have filed amicus briefs in the court arguing various uh, different things in order to convince the court to overturn Roe versus Wade. Um, Everything from the fact that Roe versus Wade does not advance the cause of women to the fact that uh, Roe versus Wade is not necessary for women's health and safety. So there are various arguments that have been put out there and um, the leaked draft indicated that Justice Alito believed that Roe versus Wade should in fact be overturned and that there may in fact be a majority of US Supreme Court justices who believe that very same thing. And it's really important to recognize the fact 
that once Roe versus Wade is overturned, the likely scenario is that the whole issue of abortion returns to the individual states so that the people through their duly elected representatives can decide abortion policy. That would be the fair thing to do. Because way back in 1973, what the US Supreme Court did was it knocked out all the abortion laws in all 50 states, it was never put up for a vote. And even pro-abortion justices such as Ruth Bader Ginsburg believed that Roe versus Wade was unjustly decided. So it's high time that Roe versus Wade be thrown into the dustbin of history. So, so you're, you said that you're the, the, the Right to Life group, what, what's, what's the name of the Right to Life group that you're with? I'm with the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation, which is and the Pennsylvania affiliate of National Right to Life. Okay. And your group provided, you, you called it, uh, what, what, what was the document that you provided that, was sure. it cited in the it, it, draft? It was, it was called the uh, an amicus brief or friend of the court brief. And I am not certain that it was cited in the uh, leaked draft, but it was one of the documents that the U.S. Supreme Court had to go through when making its decision. So it, it could very well have played a part in that decision. And, and okay. we're very pleased with that. You know, it's, it's like having your fingerprints on history. What, in which month did, was that uh, amicus brief provided to the Supreme Court? Was that like in January or was it last year? It was, it was some months ago. I think it might've even been last year. So it, okay. it goes back a, a ways, yes. Um, so, and, and, and I think, yeah, so essentially it seems like everyone, yeah, it's, it seems like it's, it's logical that having the power or the decision returned to legislation, the body, you know, the body, the law, the law creating body of state legislation or even Congress, um, you know, having that returned from the courts. So the courts, you know, overturning this decision of the courts creating law to the legislative bodies creating law seems like a universally good idea, but even more important than that, you know, promoting life protection. Um, not that we would be supportive of a law created by the legislative bodies that would uh, destroy life, but rather, yeah, but essentially it, it seems like, yeah, the fact that the Supreme Court created, yeah, this ruling uh, 50 years ago, just, yeah, it just seems so, yeah, it's, there's so many things that were only done here, like, you know, the, like having, having rights or like a law created at the Supreme Court seems rare. I, I can't think of another case, but then again, I'm not an expert in the Supreme Court law. And then, um, and here we are 50 years later, almost, mm -hmm. it's like 49 and a half years later. So we're in the 50th year and it's, um, looking like it's going to be overturned. Meanwhile, the justices are being threatened. Their their houses and families are probably um, receiving huge um, assaults, um, and it's a dangerous space for them, a dangerous time for them. And and and, and, the, and public opinion is not supposed to impact uh, a a a judge who is supposed to look at the law. But how can a judge not take into effect that their family is being threatened or their life is being threatened like that? 
what is what is the what does that look like for how that might impact this case or how it might impact uh, what needs to be done in this scenario? It is very troubling that the opinion was leaked, the draft opinion was leaked, because that does set up a scenario where uh, people could try to intimidate the justices and could try to sway the ultimate ruling. And that's very unfortunate because the US Supreme Court should be sacrosanct and it should not be um, subjected to the whims of public opinion. Um, and so I think that the uh, justices are going to stand firm in this particular case. I am very hopeful that they will um, because we, we can't have a situation where people can bully the Supreme Court into making a decision that they want. It has to be based upon the constitution and the rule of law. And I think that um, I'm, I'm very grateful for the security that the Supreme Court has now um, to keep them safe, um, because this is a, a very critical time in our nation's history. And I think that um, it's important to note that the US Supreme Court really went outside the bounds of the constitution when they issued the 1973 US Supreme Court ruling, Roe versus Wade. It was as if they invented this so-called right to abortion or right to privacy out of whole cloth when it's, it's nowhere in the constitution. You cannot find the word abortion in the US constitution, it simply doesn't exist. And so it was never just, it was never right. And it should be up to the individual states to decide abortion policy. Um, and um, it, our work is cut out for us in the individual states. I mean, we have to work very, very hard to ensure that there are pro-life policies in place in different states around the country. And we know that some states have, have gone to the other extreme in passing very pro-abortion legislation. And we're hopeful that in Pennsylvania, we'll be able to pass good solid pro-life legislation, which will protect both babies and their mothers from harm. Yeah, and it, it seems like a more, um, a closer to home um, discussion or battle when it's taken from the federal level to the local state level. Like it feels like it's more practical to that body of people. Um, and, 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 I, and I know that there's probably going to be the expectation that there's probably going to be rioting in the streets when Roe versus Wade is overturned. But if you think about it, the states that are pro-abortion and they, you know, they, you know, with their laws, you know, what, what, you know, the fact that they'll be riding the streets doesn't really align with the fact that, you know, for their state, their, the laws match their majority or their opinion. And then for the states that are having pro-life laws passed or anti-abortion laws passed, makes sense that, you know, so it feels like we should have less, logically, we should have less rioting in the streets when Roe versus Wade gets overturned, uh, except for the fact that the opposition is maybe not logical and just simply um, trying, to, trying, to, trying to use bully tactics and mob-like bully tactics to, to persuade others. Um, but if, if it feels like the majority, yeah, I, I'm really hoping that, yeah, the states, some states will have abortion and some states won't have abortion. And hopefully that will, re, you know, what are your thoughts on the 
on the outcome of the day when Roe gets overturned and um, and what that day might look like. Well, the day that Roe versus Wade is overturned will be a real victory for our country. Um, it will be a victory for the rule of law. It will be a victory for the US Constitution. And it's been many, many years since many of us have been working on this particular project of trying to overturn Roe versus Wade. So it's an answer to a, a lot of work and an answer to a lot of prayer. Uh, and I think that it's important to note that once Roe versus Wade is overturned, I believe no matter what state you live in, pregnancy help centers, pregnancy resource centers become all the more important. Um, because the work is so vitally necessary to ensure that women have all the help and resources they need to bring their babies into the world. And the pregnancy centers are really the first line of defense in this uh, fight for life. Um, and it's really incumbent upon all of us to support our local pregnancy centers. I know at my particular church, um, we are um, collecting money for new ultrasound machines for our local pregnancy centers because their ultrasound machines are now outdated and they need state-of-the-art equipment to deal with all of the clients that they're going to see in the coming year. So I think all of us need to support our pregnancy centers in any way that we can. And all of us have different talents and abilities, different resources available to assist those pregnancy centers in this critical time. Yeah, and it, uh, uh, recently I was trying to calculate how many prayers have probably been lifted up. And I think that there's probably millions of people, oh, I know there's probably millions of people that have been praying over the course of 50 years. And so I would estimate that there could literally be trillions of prayers offered to God, not just billions, but I think there's probably, if, if we probably ventured into the trillion territory when it comes to like just the, the number of cries to God to overturn, you know, essentially to stop abortion, to overturn Roe, to, to help these babies who are being slaughtered um, before, you know, the most vulnerable out of our community, the, the ones literally without voice, the ones who are youngest, um, most vulnerable, and then also turning a mom against her own offspring is just wicked and evil, no matter how you look at it. And, and all of that just simply, I think that reflects the number of prayers that have been offered to God. And I just feel like when, when, when I started praying for abortion to get overturned, um, I didn't think I would see it in my lifetime, but yet I, I was dedicated to, to work towards that result even though I didn't have the expectation that I would see it, I thought my children or grandchildren would get to see the day when Rover, when Roe versus Wade would be overturned. And, and I know that we're still a long ways from abortion being unthinkable, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, it's good to celebrate, uh, celebrate a bat, a, a win and to celebrate God answering prayers and to answer just yeah a trillion prayers. Um, and, and it's also interesting that this is like the 50th year. So like, you know, it feels like that's, if there was ever a tally that would be biblical, it'd be the year of Jubilee, like the, the year of reset. And to consider something of this magnitude being overturned in, in the 50th year is, is uh, it just feels like an answer. It feels like an amazing, miraculous answer to prayer. 
Um, and also to, and to have it be done, well, uh, well, we have Biden and Harris in the White House. Um, you know, that is not, that did not, <laughs> that it just feels like God is doing it at, you know, at a time when, you know, of all people, Harris in the White House is, uh, and Roe versus Wade is being overturned while she is there. It just is remarkable that, you know, how powerful God is. Um, and so there's a lot, there's a lot to be excited about, but yet also I think for pregnancy clinics, it feels like the day-to-day -day of helping women who are facing unplanned pregnancies I feel like the work today is the same as it was five years ago and probably going to be the same as it will be in five years um, because pregnancy clinics are, are sort of like the boots on the ground, just helping women who are going through a variety of struggles who need help and a listening ear and good direction and material assistance and to meet Jesus and that full experience of getting help. And, and so I think, yeah, pregnancy clinics, Hopefully, you know, I think they're sort of like, I don't think they're, they, they're being attacked more today than they were in previous years, somewhat. Um, but at the same time, I think, I think what they're doing to help women in their communities is sort of, sort of this, yeah, it's, it's steadfast. Um, but it does feel like the political and lawgiving world is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of change in that space. Um, and the, and the conversation right now has been, um, well, everyone is, you know, there's a lot, a lot of talk, a lot of people considering abortion right now. And that's, and I think it's good for people who have good logical arguments, life-giving, you know, God-honoring arguments to speak up and try and voice these good things, the people who are willing to listen and consider. Um, and so I think that's something that makes it worthwhile to, yeah, to reach out to people who are who may not be, who may not have been as connected or involved in previous years. I think that this is a great teachable moment in our country. I think that we can start those conversations now about when life begins, um, when the humanity of the unborn child should be respected and cherished and protected under the law, um, the effects of abortion on women, um, because there are very harmful effects that can take place. I mean, there's psychological damage that can take place. Um, uh, women who have had abortions may be more likely to try to take their own lives. They may be more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric illness. They may be more likely to suffer from eating disorders. All of these things are, are terrible burdens that are placed upon women today as a result of legal abortion. I think that uh, we need to start a dialogue about how we can best help women in difficult circumstances. I mean, abortion does not solve problems such as poverty uh, or um, problems such as um, a lack of educational advancement or problems on the job, relationship problems. It, it doesn't solve any of those things. It only creates more problems for the women. And we need to do our best to reach out to women with compassion and support and love. And that's really the genius of the pregnancy center movement in this country. Um, going back many, many decades, um, it was just a brilliant model. Um, this idea of comprehensive counseling and material support for women facing challenging circumstances. 
and non-judgmental support and assistance to these women. Um, it's just extraordinary. And um, miracles happen every day at these pregnancy centers. And, and it's not just, although it, that's, that's quite a bit, the miracle of the unborn child and the child being brought into the world, um, but also the miracles that happen within the lives of these women. I mean, they go on to earn their GEDs or their college diplomas uh, to get gainful employment, to find shelter, um, to turn their lives around. I mean, there are so many miracles in the making at these pregnancy centers um, that unfortunately I think a lot of us take for granted and we, and we cannot now because this is such a critical time in our nation's history. We really need to support those centers. So speaking of um, the miracles that happen regularly at the Princey Clinics, I would like you to reflect on where you've seen God's fingerprints in the space that your group works. Um, where have you seen God's fingerprints or his miraculous, um, you know, divine influence? Um, can you tell a story or share something that comes to mind? Um, one of the things I like to do in this podcast is to share um, stories of God's fingerprints in the pro-life world, because I, you know, his fingerprints are found throughout many stories. And I think it's really important for us to amplify and to record the, the stories of where God is having an impact in our lives and to share his fingerprints or his involvement, and then to share that with others. I think that is it's, it's a, I think it's a good practice for us to, to try and do. So can you think of some stories or one story at least? Certainly. Um, at the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation, we have local chapters throughout the Commonwealth. These are local county-based chapters, and they do a variety of educational outreach activities. And I know in, in one case, um, the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation itself actually went to the Creation Christian Music Festival that's held nearby. And um, we have these soft touch fetal models that we place on our display table. And we had somebody who picked up that model and um, we didn't think anything about it. And then a year later, someone returned and it was actually a young woman who had given birth as a result of that soft touch fetal model. Um, so she had a change of heart. She had had an abortion scheduled. She changed her mind and she chose life. And that's just one example of, of the many. Um, I think that it's very ironic what happened in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, about 10 years ago, um, Kermit Gosnell um, was brought to uh, light his, his terrible crimes in his House of Horrors abortion facility in West Philadelphia, where he actually uh, murdered newborn babies and caused the death of female patients. And out of that terrible situation, the state legislature decided to act and it passed an abortion center regulation law, which ensured that abortion facilities had to meet basic health and safety standards and had to be um, examined, um, at least inspected um, once a year. Um, and as a result of that, um, 
more than a half dozen abortion facilities actually closed their doors because they either could not or would not meet basic health and safety standards. And once abortion facilities shut down, the number of abortions are likely to decrease. And I think that that whole situation um, of the state legislature acting was truly miraculous. Um, and many lives have been saved and hearts have been changed as a result of that legislation. Um, and I, I know, for instance, in the city of Harrisburg, um, the state capital, uh, we saw where an abortion facility um, had more than 44 pages worth of health and safety violations once it was, an ins once it was inspected. And as a result of that, um, the abortion facility actually surrendered its license after decades and decades of performing abortions here in Harrisburg. Um, and to see that abortion facility finally close its doors, that was truly miraculous. Wow. That, those are such good stories, especially the story of the abortion clinic closing. That is, wow, sounds like a lot of answered prayer right there. <laughs> yeah, because there were so many years where people uh, went down to the abortion center to pray and decide what counsel. And I was among the people that prayed down there. Um, and I just couldn't imagine a day when that abortion facility would not be in operation because it had been there for many, many years. Um, and we didn't know what was going on inside. I mean, we, we knew that abortions were taking place, but we didn't know the terrible conditions mm. in, in that facility until the inspection started. Because in Pennsylvania, at one point, hair and nail salons had greater scrutiny than abortion facilities. Mm. And in Kermit Gosnell's case, his abortion facility was not inspected for 17 years. Now imagine going to a restaurant that had not been inspection, inspected in 17 years. You just wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so it, it was completely bizarre. And it was the result of the pro-abortion policies of the governor's office in Pennsylvania. And um, they just steadfastly refused to do inspections at these facilities. So once we had a pro-life governor in place, things changed and we were able to pass that meaningful pro-life legislation to make those abortion facilities accountable. And when they were made accountable, a lot of them had to close down because they, they couldn't meet those basic health and safety standards. It was just appalling. Hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like um, one of the a good prayer to pray is for the the, the lies and the false beliefs and, the, and the, the deception that surrounds abortion and abortion clinics to be exposed for what's really there and for and for the the truth to you know to be seen, which usually results in you know what was discovered there, which is things needed to shut down and close because it's. Yeah, it, it's um, it seems like there's layers upon layers of lies and dangerous tactics being used surrounding the death of the unborn or the, the killing or stopping of the unborn. Um, so what would what would you consider a a, um, a positive story that pro-life um, people, pregnancy clinic uh, teams 
could be encouraged by what's going on with the with the, the, the in, in the law in the Dobbs case or in the in these you know in the in that sphere what, what would be a, an encouraging story to share well, I think a very encouraging story to share is the fact that uh, in Pennsylvania, for instance, um, once Roe versus Wade is overturned, then we can begin the work of protecting preborn children and their mothers from harm. And in our state, um, we have a case before the state Supreme Court that was brought by the abortion industry which would be like the Roe versus Wade of Pennsylvania. The abortion industry is asking for the state Supreme Court to declare a so-called right to abortion and right to taxpayer funding of abortion under the Pennsylvania Constitution. So in Pennsylvania, we're sponsoring the Life Amendment. And the Life Amendment would ensure that there is no such right under the PA Constitution. And it would ensure that the state legislature would be able to enact pro-life policies rather than the courts. So um, the constitutional amendment has to pass both the Pennsylvania House and Senate in two consecutive sessions and then be placed on the ballot for voters to decide. So this is a very exciting time in Pennsylvania because we may finally get a chance to vote on this concept of taxpayer funding of abortion, um, which um, in Pennsylvania law has, has always been illegal, um, but uh, as a result of a Supreme Court case at the state level could in fact be declared legal. So um, we're really banding together with other pro-life organizations around the state to pass that life amendment. And I think that uh, if, if you're looking for a David and Goliath fight and a miracle that could happen, that's it. Awesome. What do you what do you think about um, the when it comes to uh, miscarriage or you know a natural miscarriage or a, an ectopic pregnancy and what that looks like under um, a when when Roe gets overturned and in some and in some states abortion is, you know elective abortion is is illegal. But what happens when there's a natural um, uh, miscarriage taking place or an ectopic pregnancy where the life of the baby, um, you know, essentially has no chance of survival unless it was transplanted to a different space and the life of the mother is at grave risk. What is, what is, there seems to be a lot of concerns over people having miscarriage or that gray zone of like, was it? a natural abortion or was there some kind of action taken by the mom that created that miscarriage uh, or was it influenced in some way? I feel like there's a lot of concerns over miscarriages and like, and then cleaning, you know, and then having um, an abortion-like procedure to pull out the, the remains of the child. Um, and so I think there's a lot of legitimate concerns there. What are your thoughts on how this, you know, this, this um, miscarriage space will be uh, addressed in this new era that we're approaching? I think in the post-Roe era, it's, it's important to note that the pro-life movement is for both the mother and the child. And we believe that both the mother and the child deserve the best possible medical care. 
So we treat both the mother and the child. If in treating the mother and trying to save the mother's life, the child dies, that is not an intentional act of killing. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're not talking about natural miscarriages. Um, you can still get the treatment that you need for miscarriages. What we're talking about is ending the wholesale killing of millions upon millions of preborn babies, when in fact we need to safeguard the lives of both the mothers and the children. And our laws would reflect that fact. And the pro-life movement stands for the lives of both the mothers and the children and believes that our laws should reflect that fact. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this seems to be a lot of, um, I was talking to someone at my church last night and she was saying that someone that was related, I think it was her, well, someone related to her, I can't remember who, um, was saying that she had a miscarriage and her insurance denied it because it was connected to being an abortion like it was an abortion procedure to remove the remains. And so it wasn't covered under her insurance. And I told her, well, that just needs to be addressed because, you know, a natural miscarriage is not, you know, not part of what the, you know, what, what, what we, you know, as a group, the pro-life group, we, we care about all lives. And right. if one life can be saved out of the two, then that's what we want to do. Or if, if, if all the lives can be saved, then that's yes. what we want to do. We want to save the most lives that we can. And if the baby's life, if it's an atopic pregnancy, the baby's life isn't going to make it. And the mom's life needs to be, we need to intervene in order to help the mom survive um, that, that, you know, the, the baby creating a problem in that it, if a fallopian tube. So anyways, all that to say is, um, I feel like there's, yeah, maybe, when those kind of topics come up, I feel like those insurance companies need to revisit their policies to make sure that they're reflecting helping all the patients involved or as many patients that are able to be helped. Um, and there's a, there was a pro-life doctor who uh, he said, um, you know, when it comes to abortion, most, you know, if someone has brain cancer and they're pregnant, you know, some, some doctors will say she should have an abortion but he, what he, you know, essentially he was saying that there's, you know, there's no medical reason to have an abortion ever, you know, there, you know, essentially you can, you can treat the, you know, the brain cancer and the woman can still be pregnant. It's not going to interfere or make her chances better or worse for that brain cancer treatment. Um, you know, she might have to delay radiation by a few weeks just so the pregnancy gets further along. But overall, it's essentially there's essentially you treat the you treat the you treat the problem and the pregnancy is not part of the problem. And so I think a lot of times people sort of lump them all together as if they have you have to get an abortion to try and make it so there's less involved or or less complicated. But in reality, that's not a way of treating all the patients. The, the best way to treat all the patients is to treat all the patients to try and have the best outcome for the whole group. Um, yeah, what, what Roe versus Wade did was it pit the rights of the mother against the rights of the child. And that's not what is just or right. We need to support both the mother and the child. And both of their rights need to be protected and cherished. Um, so we, we, it's not an either or, it's, it's a both and. 
You know, we, we support the mother, we support the child, we give care to both the mother and the child. And it's important that all of our institutions recognize that fact. And, and yes, we may have to go through some transformations in our society um, because we've had abortion legalized for so many years, um, but that's a healthy transformation. That's a healthy society that we're building toward. We're renewing a culture of life. And I think that's very important. Yeah, and, and I, I think part of getting to that culture of life is as the, the counter culture of death is outraged over life being protected in these situations. I think that's, it makes me think of, um, you know, the price of liberty is, is not free. Like there's, there's a cost in the, you know, so, you know, for us to have freedoms here in the U S there was a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people gave their lives so that we could have freedom here in the U S and I believe the freedom for the unborn and the, the liberty of the unborn, you know, that price that will be, that we're paying is coming from the opposition's attacks on us. And by, by going through those attacks, we're effectively paying part of that price for their freedom. And I think it's well worth it. Just like, you know, and, you know, if our country, for us to have freedoms, we, you know, the, the prices that the military has paid for our freedoms um, was well worth it and, and amazing. And I think right now we're going through something similar on a different type of scenario, but yet similar when it comes to the pro-abortion people are, you know, attacking the pro-life group. And so I think that price that we're paying is well worth it. And, 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 and in the end, I don't think we should, you know, we're, we're not going to give up. We're not going to surrender. You know, in the end, we believe wholeheartedly that God will come out um, as the champion of this, of this, of this war. And, and so we're, we're going to, we're going to keep, you know, plugging away, keep working, keep praying, keep being kind and having love and joy for people, even in the midst of this spiritual war, this real war, the success, you know, even in the midst of the battle. And so I think, um, yeah, I just encourage people to, yeah, to, uh, to know that God's, God's going to win and that we're not, you know, we're just going to keep going regardless of the opposition wanting us to stop, uh, regardless of the opposition wanting us to, um, you know, to shift our passion into a different territory or space. Um, this seems to be one of their tactics to say, I wish you could just be as passionate here as you are for the unborn. Um, but the unborn are the ones currently, you know, going through an, a Holocaust type of experience. And we're, we're not out of the woods. We're not out of the woods yet. And so we need to keep, and they need a voice. They need um, someone to stand, stand up for them. Yeah, we're not going to be intimidated. We're not going to back down. We're going to continue to fight for the lives of those precious preborn babies and their mothers. And uh, it's, it's very important to recognize the fact that there have been more than 63 million abortions in this country since 1973 in the Roe versus Wade decision. 63 million. It, it's a difficult number to think about. And just in Pennsylvania alone each year, more than 32,000 abortions occur. So that's how many kindergarten classes that aren't there because of abortion. Um, it's just mind boggling. And a lot of people to this day don't realize how widespread abortion is. They don't recognize those numbers. 
And it's important for us to get the word out, to get the truth out, that um, there are so many people who are suffering because of abortion. There are those precious babies, their, their mothers, and their, their fathers. Um, and we need to fight for the rights of those people. And um, the unborn children cannot speak up for themselves. That's why we have to speak up for them. And it's incumbent upon all of us to do what we can uh, in any way we can to restore that culture of life in our country because our country is gonna be better off because of it. Our country will be better off with the demise of Roe versus Wade. Our country would be much better off without legal abortion. Yeah, so speaking of, so with abortion becoming illegal in 26 states, um, what is what does that look like for the abortion pill or the the second pill out of the abortion pill regiment being shipped through the U.S. mail to someone that lives in one of those states? Because I don't believe there's any kind of filter for the post office or the the mail coming in that could detect an illegal abortion pill coming through the mail. Um, and then again, I guess I don't, you know, now that I think about it, there could be, you know, illegal drugs being shipped to the mail regularly. And I don't know how anyone would detect those, but, um, but when it comes to the abortion pill um, being shipped from, from Europe or from, you know, from, a, an, a, you know, from, from, a, from overseas to, you know, you know, bypassing the FDA, bypassing the state legislation, bypassing, um, you know, any kind of, I don't know what kind of check there is, but what's, what's, I guess, what does that scenario look like in this post-row world? We, we really need to educate women about the dangers of the abortion pill. There have been women who have actually died as a result of the abortion pill. And, um, there have been women who have suffered tremendously, uh, hemorrhaging as a result of the abortion pill. And, uh, a lot of women may not know that the abortion pill can actually be reversed, that there is such a thing as abortion pill reversal. And there's an abortion pill reversal network of doctors who stand ready to assist a woman if she's taken the first abortion pill and she changes her mind, there is a chance that she can reverse the abortion process through additional medication, which those pro-life OBGYNs can provide to her. So I think that this is the new frontier of education in the pro-life movement, getting women to realize the dangers of those chemical abortions and getting women to realize that the chemical abortions can be reversed in some cases. Um, And it's no secret that the abortion industry is turning toward chemical abortions more and more. I know in Pennsylvania, chemical abortions are skyrocketing in our Commonwealth. And this is true across the nation. And um, it's, it's very interesting that um, the abortion is uh, switching localities from the abortion center to a woman's home. And think of how traumatic that can be for a woman. I mean, every time she steps into her home, she could be reminded of that abortion. And I think that it's important for us to reach out to those women as never before um, and educate them about the dangers of the chemical abortions. Um, 
and and to uh, examine what legal remedies there may be at either the state or the federal level to try to address what is going to be a crisis in this country. Yeah, I, I think I think that's spot on because if someone takes the the abortion pill regimen um, and and it doesn't work, let's say they bought it and they take it at the wrong time, you know, meaning, meaning that they're further in their pregnancy and it, and it doesn't have the abortion result. And if by chance that woman also happens to have an ectopic pregnancy, which I believe happens about 3% of the time, the symptoms of an ectopic pregnancy might be very similar to that of the med medical, uh, the medication abortion pill. And, and if she doesn't get medical assistance and find out that there's an atopic pregnancy, we could, you know, she would end up having serious medical problems. And, and I think those are going to turn out to be horror stories. And, and, and really in the end, when, when a woman is experiencing pregnancy, she needs medical, um, you know, an ultrasound can be life-saving. Medical help can be life-saving. And, and if women are trying to take care of this abortion on their own in their bathroom solo without anyone helping them, especially medical personnel and an ultrasound, there's a there's a high chance that you know that there can be terrible results out of this. Um, and then yeah, and and when it comes to things being shipped through the mail, there's no guarantee as to whether or not the right dosage or the appropriate amount are being applied to someone in a certain scenario. Uh, or if someone's buying it for somebody else, there's all sorts of bad, uh, bad things that could take place there. Um, and and it, just, it just seems like as an overall, I think, you know, it feels like there's a group of people, there's, there's people who, who have treated abortion as a way of, um, they're treating it like birth control more so than what it really is, which is ending the life of a, of a, of a individual with unique DNA um, and they're essentially trying to, yeah, for a variety of reasons of, you know, a large number of reasons that are, you know, that's none of those reasons outweigh ending someone else's life as, you know, cause life is so precious and, am and amazing, but yeah, there's, yeah, it's just very, it's just, um, but all that to say is that, yeah, it's very dangerous and there's going to be some really bad stories that come out of it. And, but yet you know, these medic medication abortions are still being promoted almost as if they want to have a reason for legislation to say we need to legalize it because we're going to make these bad situations take place. But obviously, these are bad things, you know, we should not be, you know, having having these drugs shipped from certain places overseas is a, a, a really bad thing. And maybe the FDA needs to figure out how to stop these these sources of the abortion pill or the second pill out of the abortion pill regiment from being shipped or both pills being shipped to um, ship shipped to the U.S. Maybe we need to crack down on these sources of essentially illegal drugs that are being shipped in and bypassing the FDA uh, and bypassing local legislation, bypassing the woman's health, and creating problems for our communities. Definitely. And I think that it's also important to keep in mind just how many times women are pressured into having abortions by their boyfriends, uh, husbands, um, even parents or grandparents. 
And those individuals may be ordering the abortion pills and forcing them down the woman's throat. And so that's a, a terrible, terrible tragedy um, that may be happening. Um, and uh, we need to protect women as much as possible from that, um, whatever regulatory uh, measures can be taken. Um, because this whole idea that it's a woman's free choice, in many cases, it is not. She's making the choice that another person wants for her. And um, she feels as if she has no choice. And she may be threatened with eviction if she doesn't abort. She may be threatened with losing her job or losing her relationship, all sorts of things. Um, and it's incumbent upon us to reach out to these pregnant women with compassion and love and to tell them there is a better way. Yeah, it, it seems like the, the number one cause of abortion is typically how another person responds and influences the woman in this time. And it's also true that the number one cause for life or for a woman to embrace um, life, I think is also very often another person um, who might say, you know, who's there to support and listen and provide care and, um, and bolster her in, in having maybe, you know, whether it's a parent, you know, whether it's parenting or adoption. And so I think very often when a woman is in that, in that position of she's at risk of choosing abortion, or she, you know, whether it's a small amount of risk or a large amount of risk of leaning towards that direction, it seems like another person, whether it's the, the boyfriend or the husband or a friend or a uh, or a spouse, or it could be, um, it could be a, a parent or uh, just a neighbor or someone at church or someone at work that, you know, what other people do to speak into her life has a huge impact. And I think that's partly why pregnancy clinics are so impactful at helping women choose life is because they, you know, they provide care and listening and they build rapport and they speak truth into her life and along with resources. And I think if more people did that, that would, that would be, that would be the wave to bring women into choosing parenting and adoption more often would be other people providing that support and care. Um, but at the same time, other people can also speak death into her life. Like if she goes to a Planned Parenthood, 90% of women will choose abortion. But if she goes to a pregnancy clinic, 80 some percent of women will choose life, even if they were abortion minded going in. And so another person, um, that voice, the voice that she hears has a huge impact on whether or not she thinks she can do it, whether or not she gets the support uh, or not to, to make it, you know, for what, for, the, for what that decision is that she ends up making. Um, her support, yeah, the support that goes into being a parent is very impactful to people in this um, at-risk zone of going one way or the other. Oh, definitely. And there was a, a study that was done of women who had had abortions and who then regretted them. And it found something like 85% of those women would have chosen life for their children if just one person had been willing to support them, just one person. And that one person can be any one of us. Yeah, there was um, a study, well, someone was saying if they could do a study on 
on, uh, uh, you know, women having an abortion or not having an abortion and then trying to find out, you know, it, how those unwanted babies would end up becoming criminals or not. And what's interesting is that there are several people who have survived abortion. And I think their stories really ring true as to how much, how they value their life and how they are, um, how they cherish life and how they have life. And I don't think that's, it. you know, we, there's no right for any of us to say to someone, because you have a high chance of becoming a criminal that you shouldn't have breath, you shouldn't have a birthday, you shouldn't have a childhood or the chance at life. I think, you know, everyone should have a chance, regardless of the chances of them making good or bad decisions down the road, because all of us make a variety of decisions, and we all need care and healing and help and Jesus and God and, 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 um, and support. And so, and really in the end, um, yeah, so all that to say is, I, I think when it comes to someone saying that, you know, that this person should have an abortion because they're going to have a terrible life, that's, that's not a good reason to kill somebody. That's not a good reason to not let them have life, not to have a, their, their initial birthday, not to have um, a chance at life. And um, yeah, it's all out to say it. I, just, I don't think there's any good arguments for abortion, but there are lots of arguments for abortion. At least there's a lot of quantity of abortion arguments, but in reality, none of them are, you know, the, the morality of them or the, the ethical level of them are all terrible. Like they're just, they're, they're just simply full of death and, and uh, excuses. But really in the end, everyone needs a chance. You know, it's wonderful to have life. And then, but yeah, everyone will do, everyone will need help and healing and, and guidance and love and care. Like that's part of who everyone is. Um, and so just to say someone's likely to be unwanted, they're more likely to go to jail is no reason to not give them a chance at breath and to have their birthday. And then also, yeah, but there is a need to provide care to everybody. And, to, you know, so there is, there's a, there's a, there's a need for providing love and care to people. Uh, and I think that's where the church is and that's where loving people have the opportunity to do more is to love on people who are unwanted. I think it was mother Teresa said, um, send me, send me all of them. Like, I think she said something like send me all of the unwanted children. Like that was, my, that's my paraphrase version of what she said, but yeah, send them all to me and I'll, I'll take them all. And so I think that, I think that's really, you know, that could be a universal position for all of us who see, you know, who are trying to, who have the love of Jesus in us. And we're looking to love others is to say, send them to me. I will help them send them. Yeah. Don't, don't kill them. Send them to me. We'll take them. We'll help them. I think that could be a universal posture for all of us. Yes, and I think that if you notice the experience of women who go to pregnancy resource centers, they're more likely to get prenatal care. They're more likely to get um, immunizations for their children once the children are born. They're more likely to be upstanding citizens and, and good mothers. And we shouldn't make a judgment that just because a woman is in challenging circumstances that that woman is not gonna be a good mother you know, with support and with understanding and with compassion, she can be a good mother and she can take care of her children. She can hold down a job and she can um, be a vital force for good in the world. And it's only those people who want to sell abortion that sell women short. Yeah. 
And the abortion industry does have a, they make a profit off of this. They, they get large amounts of funding based on, with, you know, with the goal of abortions. And the pro-life world, we work so hard to raise money in order to then provide free and confidential medical services to women. You know, we're essentially providing yeah, medical grade services with nurses and doctors and medical equipment with, you know, who are trained and provide a high level of service. And, we, and most groups provide that at no cost to the, to the woman who needs those services. And so essentially, yeah, we're, we're fundraising really hard and doing a lot of fundraising work in order to provide free services to as many women as you know who may who may at, let us provide those services to them and so i think pregnancy clinics are you know providing this passionate um hard-working care um and it's just amazing you know medical grade services for free it's it's um it's just amazing what they do pregnancy clinics are amazing and I, and thank goodness for the pro-life communities who help support these pregnancy clinics who are providing this medical care because without the supporters Provide, you know, because there's a lot of costs that go into medical care, and so this is definitely not free, but it's being made, it's made 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 available to free for the, to the clients who are, taking, you know, who who can take advantage of these services in order to receive the support and care and services that they're looking for and they, what they really need in their situation. Absolutely, and uh, the pro life movement is proud to work arm in arm, hand in hand with the pregnancy center movement uh, all across the country. And these centers empower women to make life-affirming choices for themselves and their families. It's a, it's a truly um, inspiring labor of love that these pregnancy centers provide. And I've seen it firsthand and um, it brings joy to my heart to see all the women who are helped by these pregnancy centers and will be helped in the future. Awesome. Well, Marie, I really appreciate your time and just your thoughts and input on all this. And would you, um, as we wrap up this podcast, will you just, um, and you know, sort of wrap this up with a prayer, uh, a prayer for, um, what, what God leads you to pray for. <laughs> I would be happy to dearest heavenly father. We thank you so much for the blessing of our time together. We ask for abundant blessings upon all those who are listening to this podcast. We ask you to extend your loving arms around all those pregnant women who are seeking help at this very moment. Please steer them in the direction of those pregnancy centers that can provide that compassionate support. Please give strength and courage and hope to those who volunteer and work at those centers so that they can in turn minister to the many women who need their help. And we ask for an overturn of Roe versus Wade, and we ask for an end to legal abortion, and we ask for a renewal of our culture so that we will indeed support life. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Maria. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. And um, I just really appreciate what you're doing uh, as this pro-life world, just like the body of Christ, there's a lot of different parts of the pro-life world. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to have different people working in different ways, that, but all towards the same goal and mission. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you very much.
Sing praise to your 